This is a Retail Insider Podcast. You're listening to The Weekly. Welcome to this week's episode of The Weekly by Retail Insider. I'm Lee Rippett, and I'm joined with the Editor-in-Chief of Retail Insider, Craig Patterson, to discuss this week's most read articles on retail-insider.com. So thanks for joining me, Craig. Hello, everyone. Now, we're currently recording on March the 22nd, 2021, and we have two articles that we're going to talk about during this podcast. The first is to do with the last days of Club Monaco on Blur Street in downtown Toronto. And Craig, you live down the street from it, so you probably have been looking at it ever since you've lived on that street. So you probably have a lot to say about it. But the second article that we're going to cover is to do with Sunterra Market, which is more near and dear to my heart because you always remember your first love. And that was the first food hall experience that I had that blew my socks off. Um, And it was when I was working in downtown Calgary and one was right around the corner from where I was working as my first job as an adult. So so congratulations to them for opening their night store. But before we get there, let's talk about the Club Monaco that's shutting down um, just down the street from you, Craig. Yes, the Club Monaco store in a beautiful heritage building um, on uh, Bloor Street West at uh, the corner of Queens Park or Avenue Road, depending which side of the street you want to be using the name for, uh, is unfortunately, well, actually it is closed now. So uh, as of the time of this recording, it's it's just closed. Uh, The store opened in uh, 1996 and... uh, it's sad. It was almost exactly 25 years ago that that store opened. Yeah, well, and I'm just doing the math here in 25 years, and it's like 1996. Um, but like for being there for that long, like there is Club Monaco's elsewhere on different streets, different malls. So what was special about this? And was it more of a landmark situation or landmark location for the brand itself? I would say so for sure. Um, not only the location being quite prominent, yeah. uh, it's, it's four heritage buildings at that uh, particular intersection. Yeah. Uh, again, very, very prominent location. Uh, the building itself is is architecturally significant. Yes. It's uh, called the Lillian Massey Building. And uh, yeah. a historical building uh, made out of Indiana limestone. It's got uh, big pillars. It's, it's quite prominent in the way that it's uh, set up to uh, the street. And uh, is owned by the University of Toronto and actually still has some offices in there as well. So um, I'm curious what's going to happen with the building. Yeah. I can say that uh, I have been told by brokers after we published the article that uh, there has been actually a considerable amount of interest and that there may be a brand. Oh, uh, yes, that may have already. That's amazing. May yes. end up already leasing it. So it's not like this is a really bad news story. I mean, it's bad news if, if you're going to miss yes. Club Monaco being on Blur Street. Yeah. But uh um, still, you know, the things do turn and change. I mean, there are, I think, seven offers on the um, former Gap store at the corner of uh, Bloor Street and Bay Street, for example, too. So even though we have covered yeah. uh, retailers closing in, in parts of Canada, including the uh, the Bloor Street uh, Luxury Shopping District, uh, mm. uh, still, you know, there's going to be interest because there's only so much real estate that you can fill. And, and yeah. this is still, I think, considered to be hopefully a prime address. Uh, when I say hopefully, uh, in my mind, it still is certainly a prime yeah. address. When I don't want to talk bad about any of the other um, Club Monaco's around the world, because I'm sure there's others that are stunning, but this is a historic building that there's aspects that you can't um, recreate elsewhere around the world. So, And I know there's a lot of people who feel intimidated by going into buildings that are flashy and stuff like this. So if you want to take a peek at what some of the photos look like before they actually shut down, our article has a lot of those stunning photos that we're going to kind of talk about coming up here. But Craig, to kind of take a look at the interior, what were some of the historic kind of key features that you thought were quite stunning and remarkable that will never be seen again in a Club Monaco uh, around the world? 
The building itself is interesting, uh, a beautiful main floor, and you could go from room to room. They're, they're really beautiful. It's not like a contemporary store that you would see unless they could replicate that kind of heritage architecture, but with tile flooring and uh, beautiful doors and a, and a very dramatic interior. Um, I'm not sure how well the store did in terms of sales, but uh, one thing to note as well is to get into the store, you'd go up a series of stairs and it's not necessarily something that, you know, some retailers may want. And also, yeah, yeah. Um, retailers that you know you have to walk up to or down to don't typically do quite as well as a retailer that has an entrance flush on the street i don't know why that is it just is the case and so you know a lot of retailers if they want mm -hmm. a space they're going to want it where you basically can you know wheel a wheelchair inside if you know what i mean without having yeah. to have a ramp uh, or much yeah. of a ramp or any so uh, like we're talking inches not feet so uh you know but really interesting building and um, they it was interesting i used to live in toronto i left and came back of course but uh, I remember years ago, there was a uh, CMX as a sub-brand of Club Monaco, and uh, there was this room in the basement that they expanded into, and it used to be a swimming pool. Yeah, I read. Which yeah. is really interesting. So um, the, the, the room has a skylight, because I guess that's the way it's set up. Uh, you know, there's uh, floors above the store, but in this particular part, I think in the back, there's this, it's, it's a one-level area. Mm. Uh, it has a skylight, and I remember kind of bouncing up and down on the floor and noticing that it was hollow, because I knew it was had been a swimming pool because I'd read about it in, I don't know, Toronto Life or some publication that had <laughs> yeah. been talking about it. This was around 2004, yeah. 2005. And um, eventually Club Monaco turned that space into the menswear department. And then when I was in there um, on Sunday, the uh, menswear department had been shut. Yeah. Well, and there's also a couple restaurants there too at some point, right? I mean, maybe more accurately to say uh, on the sidewalk mm. in front of it. So uh, um, I, I think it was 1998. Uh, they had one, um, I think it was a, Club Monaco Cafe Fashion or something to that degree. And then Colony Kitchen had been there uh, uh, subsequently. Uh, and uh, I don't remember when the last time was uh, that there was a restaurant there. But uh, I do recall uh, in the last few years just living nearby that uh, they had things like a flower market and they had different vendors once they had like a pop-up market in front of the store and, and were really playing yeah. with that. Well, I, at the end of the day, I think it's awesome that they were trying to play with it and they enjoyed it for a while they had it. And Again, too bad for that chapter to be complete and, and rolling on, but I'm excited to see what's going to happen for that space next because it's probably not going to stay empty for long. We are seeing a lot of change right now, I think, in the retail industry, yeah. and, and we'll yeah. probably see a lot more uh, you know, rollover of spaces uh, and, and new tenants coming in. And it's not going to be empty for long, mainly because of that historic landmark location. That building is amazing, and there is going to be a retailer that will be snapping it up. So much like yourself, I'm excited to find out who that retailer will be in the coming months so or so. But moving on to our second podcast topic, the Suntair Market in Alberta is opening their ninth store. And I'm very proud of this retailer. As I mentioned in the intro, I have a, a, a near and dear to my heart experience with this retailer. Um, growing up in small town Saskatchewan, the food court experience there in the late 90s, early 2000s was very utilitarian. You'd go in, get your food, eat it, and leave, or get your food and leave. So it's not intended to, to be an experience really at that point. So when I moved to Calgary, got my first job, was downtown, and wandered in at lunch hour to the Trans-Canada Pipeline location of the Suntara Market, my mind was blown. Like you'd walk into this um this Suntair location and it was built like an experience. It was themed like a European market. There was crepe making stations. You could grab some groceries. All of this was amazing and, and beyond anything I'd experienced growing up. So, you know, great for them. But 
For people who don't know about Sentara Market, could you back up and give them a little bit of a briefer on that? Yeah, I would consider Sentara to almost be the term grocerant, where it's a grocery store, mm. but it's also got elements of a restaurant. You can sit down and eat. I mean, with the pandemic, maybe things are a bit different, but that's traditionally yeah. what, what, what it, it is. is. Uh, um, my first experience was, you know, as a student in downtown Edmonton, they had one in the um, commerce place. Uh, and to me, that was more of a restaurant, uh, almost like a food hall, but you know, not that big. But, uh, you know, I've been to, I actually gave a talk in one in um, Calgary's Beltline area, I think in 2015. And that was very much a large grocery store, about 25,000 square feet. Uh, uh, but beautiful concept. I, I think they're really nice stores. Like, I'm really impressed with Sunterra. I, I think it's terrific. Uh, it's uh, um, got a few locations throughout uh, Alberta in uh, Calgary yeah. and Edmonton and now Red Deer. Yeah. And this uh, 20,000 square feet new, new spot in Red Deer. But uh, it's just really great to see this family farm that just opened up that European style food hall in Bankers Hall in downtown Calgary and just branched out from there. So uh, super excited for them. But just to kind of recap too, for our listeners that may not be up to uh, on all the terminology, what's the difference between a food court versus a food hall? Yes, and a grocerant. Yeah. And a grocerant, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I mean, food, well, food hall? Well, we, we've covered a few food halls in Retail Insider. I'm just thinking of, uh, uh, you know, Square One in Mississauga has a really interesting food hall. It's yeah. a bunch of little vendors that are in a space. And uh, I don't want to say like a farmer's market, but it, but it's often multi-vendors that are are in an area or I don't know if it's even one supplier with different concepts, but uh, um, a, a space that you can go and explore different foods and, uh, um, you know, have an experience as well, uh, which is different than I'd say a food court, which is really just kind of a centralized space with a bunch of um, food service businesses around it. So that is a little bit different, I guess you would say. Yeah. Um, probably not as fun or so, as sophisticated, but, you know, it can still be compelling, certainly very, very popular for shopping centers. So I don't want to be disparaging no. towards food courts. They're just, yeah. they're just more traditional, yes. right? Like they've been around for decades and decades, but still serve an important purpose for, uh, uh, you know, many, many shopping centers right now. And then the grocerant is uh, kind of like, I, I mean, we talked about Italy, for example, which yes. opened in Toronto and may open in Vancouver yeah. at some point if they can find the space. Yeah. They're still looking, I think. Yeah. But uh, um, that's more of, say, a grocery store that you could eat in. And uh, those lines have been blurring for a few yeah. years. I know that uh, I used to go to Whole Foods and uh, uh, in Toronto and Vancouver, wherever else, and, and you know, kind of do the grab and go uh, almost like buffet. Yeah. But, well, buffet, not really, because you're paying yeah. for quantity, yeah. but, you know, kind of the... The buffet table, you'd pick stuff that you'd want and you could sit down and eat. And it's kind of like a restaurant in a grocery store, uh, but at which like urban there were studies out there that were showing that people were actually quite comfortable with that. It was yeah. just sort of a very casual dining experience. You're not, you know, tipping the uh, wait staff as well. I mean, I encourage people to tip your wait staff, yeah. and, you know, waitresses in restaurants, <laughs> of course, please do yeah. treat people well. But, uh, but, you know, th that experience in the grocery store is a little bit different. It's, it's, it's very casual, yeah. which has also changed it during yeah. the pandemic. You can't do the scoop yourself, scoop yourself stuff. stuff right now, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, I completely understand why. <laughs> yeah. Well, and at the end of the day, it's a new experience from me going from my childhood and that progression of restaurants, grocerants, whatever you want to call it, is a really interesting experience that is now coming into the marketplace. But from your perspective, Craig, do you think that is catching on or becoming more of the standard rolling across the rest of Canada going forward? Because I'm excited and I hope, hope it is too. I'm not sure. We will definitely see food halls. I mean, we. Uh, I think that there's been a bit of a slowdown in parts of the country. I think that we were going to be seeing more in shopping centers. 
Uh, not to say that there aren't any coming. We'll mention one in a moment, but uh, um, I, I think there has been a, bit, a little bit of a slowdown. Again, it's because of the pandemic. Um, I would have expected to have seen several more shopping centers, perhaps owned by Oxford Properties, as, even, as well as other landlords. I know Ivanhoe Cambridge was looking at something, but uh, um, we will see them. But I, for sure in Vancouver, we announced this week that uh, uh, Quadreal, which is also the landlord, by the way, for uh, Bower Place and Red Deer, where Sunterra has opened, um, oh, okay. Quadreal again is developing the post in downtown Vancouver and uh, has announced the uh, uh, food hall um, operator oh. for uh, that uh, location in downtown Vancouver. Yes, this will be the first, I think, real uh, quote unquote food hall in downtown Vancouver. Yes. It's the uh, Joseph Richards Group. Uh, they're based in Surrey, which is near Vancouver, for those who may not uh, know yeah. the geography too yeah, much. Yeah. And uh, I'll be honest, I'd honestly never heard of them. Yeah, I never heard of them before either. And I even lived in the town of Vancouver up until probably about five years ago. But um, so for me, I see that area and they have a new Deloitte headquarters going up across the street from it. There's the Telus Gardens that are around the corner from it. There's a bunch of um, condos and, and high rises that are a block further south from it. They also got Gastown that's there too, but that's like starting to go beyond its comfortable walking distance almost. But um, I remember when we first announced the post um, redevelopment, there was a grocery store that was announced subsequent to that. Now, this is a food hall that's being announced. So we have a grocery store and a food hall going into the same building uh, and plus restaurants as well. But is there enough, um, I guess, support of the community and customers and traffic flow to support all of those, especially a, a grocery store, which typically would be a grocery and then a full on food hall? That's a really good question. That is a really good question because the restaurant, I'm sorry, the um, grocery store they were telling us is going to have sit down options. Like it is going to be kind of a grocery concept. Yeah. So yeah, there's going to be a little bit of competition there. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Like, and, and I'm sure that, you know, some people are going to prefer to go to the food hall. It's going to have that environment. The renderings that we saw were really neat. Yes. Like it looks like a fun space. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, kind of this lively, you know, food hall environment. Uh, I don't want to say it reminds me of the timeout market in Montreal. I've only seen pictures. I haven't been there yet. Just COVID has completely halted travel. Yes. And of course that opened right around that time. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, these, these kind of cavernous spaces with food options in it. Uh, and I've been to different food halls all over the place and, and, you know, some of them have a somewhat similar concept to them, but the, uh, the grocery store, you know, would obviously primarily be a place that you would go and buy food and take it out to your home yes, uh, or have it delivered or whatever people are going to be doing with groceries for the next while. Cause I think that home delivery is going to be uh, a little more important than a lot more important than it was in the exactly. past. But, uh, um, but yeah, there'll be sit down dining options in there, but I guess, you know, the competition it would be, but I think that, you know, there's gonna be two large restaurant spaces also um, at the post, I think facing West Georgia street. So they're going to have quite a, an interesting presence yeah. on the street. So yeah, there'll, there'll be a food and beverage. I guess the other way you can look at it too is there is a clustering there, which means that this is going to become an attraction to people to come that want a food experience, experience or just to fill their bellies. Mm -hmm. But that's an experience, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, this will be a draw, I think, for the downtown core, where even say if people are shopping at CF Pacific Center, uh, they may say, you know, well, they, they have a food court, which is fine, you know, shop local. But, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, but, you know, they may also go over to the post and, and want to have that experience or say someone after a hockey game, whenever those come back in terms of, you know, people being able to sit down or, or, you know, seeing a show or something like that at the Queen Elizabeth Theater. So, so this will be a draw and uh, I just, I just can't wait till we can get back to doing things like actually going to food halls and sitting down and stuff like that. Cause this just seems so foreign during a pandemic. Yeah. 
Well, and that's literally the two articles that we wanted to cover during this podcast, Craig. So thanks again for joining me to discuss these two. Now, actually a third article, it just popped in there too. But so thank you to our listeners too for listening. And just a gentle reminder, we do have an email newsletter that you can subscribe to that goes out every weekday morning. And it has a link to the Canadian news from around the web that we've curated from the previous day, as well as links to our recently published articles exclusive to Retail Insider. If you go to our website, retail-insider.com, you can find the subscribe area towards the bottom of our main page, and then you can get that email into your inbox every morning. So thanks everyone for listening. And Craig, thanks for chatting and chat with you next week. Thank you so much everyone for listening. Take care.